Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you Make things better. Hi there, and welcome to today's program. Delighted to have you joining in today, whether you're listening to the live program or the recorded version, either on the Lives in the Balance website or through your iPod. Still don't understand how people do that, but um, that's me. Uh, how's things going? Boy. Life with a behaviorally challenging kid can be so hard. And um, sometimes we try so hard to change who they are that um, we make things worse. And then when things get worse, we try even harder, often in the wrong way, and things get even worse. Then we don't talk, and then... We're on edge and we're sort of on heightened alert for the slightest disrespect or thing that could go wrong, and things just get worse and worse. But, well, that's what this program is for, and that's what the collaborative problem-solving approach is for, and that's what all the resources on the Lives in the Balance website are for to help you get out of that hole and see if you can make things better. Um, you know, there is the risk, of course, that the that you'll get it, that, that people will misinterpret the model. I was, uh, I don't do this very often, but I was looking for a quote and I ended up on Amazon and looking at a review of the explosive child and the most recent one is proof that people can get it wrong. Hold on, I'm trying to pull it up here. Uh, It's a review somebody wrote recently um, that just says that they didn't get it. Um, Here's the headline. It's okay to continue to be an incompetent parent. Just posted yesterday. I promise I don't read the reviews very often. I do look at them. It's always good to get input, what people are thinking about your work. It's okay to continue to be an incompetent parent, says the reviewer. That's the message of this book and the theme of almost all parenting books out there today. Don't assert authority. Don't take responsibility. Don't shape your child's character. And above all, don't engage in any actual training techniques because all these things might result in your child pushing back, in parentheses, duh, 
and in him not liking you very much. Parents today seem to be so lost and so lazy. Parenting is difficult. It's challenging. I'm going to go out of the quote here. I hope he doesn't think he's telling people something they don't already know. Actually, I don't know if it's a he. Uh, Why did I assume that? Parents must be willing to be disliked in order to do their job well. Hmm. A parent's job is to prepare a child to interact cooperatively, responsibly, and pleasantly in the larger world. Human nature is selfish and willful. These traits must be trained out of a person in order for him to become a contributing member of society. Get a grip, parents, and seek the advice of a truly wise teacher as you learn how to rise to the challenge of shaping little egocentric creatures into loving, happy people. Turn away from nonsense that only encourages you to capitulate to childish demands. All that does is hone little terrorists. Ask yourself, would you be proud to be the parent of such a person? I predict that in the future there will be a backlash against all this permissive parenting garbage, and the children of this generation who manage to reparent themselves successfully as adults will be touting age-old parenting wisdom that involves accepting a leadership role in the family. Wow. I wonder if the reviewer read the book. Uh, If the reviewer had read the book, then he or she would know that the book is about helping parents competently and effectively and compassionately help kids because some of the stuff the reviewer seems to be advocating didn't work and seems to have made things worse. Of course you're asserting authority when you're implementing collaborative problem-solving. He or she seems to have missed that point. Of course you're taking responsibility. Of course you're shaping your child's character. And of course you're engaging in actual training techniques when you're implementing collaborative problem-solving. How did the reviewer miss that? Uh, You're not lost when you're implementing collaborative problem-solving. You're not lazy. And collaborative problem-solving, those of you who have been implementing collaborative problem-solving know how difficult and challenging it is. Do you have to be disliked to do collaborative problem-solving? No. Uh, That's an interesting take on what a characteristic of an effective parent to be disliked. Yes, a parent's job is to prepare a child to interact cooperatively, responsibly, and pleasantly in the larger world, that's what collaborative problem solving is for. Human nature is not selfish and willful, though I would agree. We all do want what we want. The trick is to get what you want in a way that doesn't trample on somebody else. Sounds like collaborative problem solving to me. Uh, and the proof that the person who wrote the review didn't but you know it's not the review I don't care about the review these are the things that people say about collaborative problem solving sometimes either because they don't know enough about it or because they didn't understand it nothing in the collaborative problem solving approach that encourages you to capitulate to childish demands all right Uh, we have some email let's see if we have any callers yet today not yet So let's go to the email and see which ones we're going to answer. Uh, We've got a bunch that have piled up. I got to some of them last time, but 
not enough. I don't think I did this one last time, and so I'm going to do it, because I heard an interesting speaker this weekend at the School Mental Health course in Boston that I'm co-director of that's uh, put on by the Cambridge Health Alliance and Harvard Medical School. A gentleman named uh, Mark Langlois, L-A-N-G-L-O-I-S. Now let me just make sure that I'm getting his name right. You know me and names. Sometimes we don't do too well together. Uh, you know what, I'm going to Google him real quick just to make sure I have it right because uh, it's relevant. What I heard is relevant to um, Mike. That, did I say Mark? Mike Langlois. He's got a website, MikeLanglois.com, M-I-K-E-L-A-N-G-L-O-I-S. He's a uh, social worker. Um, did a talk this weekend at the school mental health course on technology and um, Internet and kids, and uh, it was very good, and it's relevant to this email. It says, uh, Dr. Green, my son is already a senior and is 17. We never had TV, but we did watch movies or videos sometimes. He loved to spend overnights at his friends with limitless computer games house. Eventually he got a computer, and the rule was out of your room at bedtime. He complied usually. Slowly as he got older and also got himself a phone, he now sleeps with his laptop in bed, phone, and the little screen the family shares for movies. He uses that for games, three going at once constantly. The problem, aside from my sadness and resignation about excessive screen life, is that he seems truly addicted. For instance, he has not even watched a video by a drummer he likes, which was a present a year ago, and drumming is his great talent and happiness. He never practices at home either. He can't read or even apply to college. He is hostile if I even interrupt him to say dinner is ready or to ask a question like, when is your practice? Wondering if you have a suggestion. I used to try plan A, but evolved to plan B, which is more my nature, and becoming more skilled is my very welcome. I made the mistake of not revisiting our solutions. Now I am clearly at sea, probably due to his age and feeling worried and sad. I actually do not know how he will be able to do work in college. He does none at home now. Don't completely understand the uh, email. It does sound like he's using computers and screens excessively. Um, it sounds like you think he's going to college, but it says he can't read or even apply to college. Is he really unable to read? Because... The speaker I heard this weekend had a very interesting point. We often look at how much time a kid is spending on the screen as our indicator of how much of a problem it is. And this speaker said, I don't think time is what we're paying attention to. It's not the biggest issue. It's the degree to which screen time, video games, um, are impeding a kid in some or many aspects of his life. What he was saying was there's some people who spend a lot of time in front of a screen, adults as well, by the way, who do just fine. 
the degree to which the video game is having an adverse impact that matters. Now, this story seems to uh, meet the criteria for having a negative impact. The question is, it sounds like approaching him about this while he's in the midst of it, that would be emergency plan B, and yes, I suspect he and a lot of other behaviorally challenging kids are going to be hostile when you try to approach them when they're in the middle of playing a video game. So what I would recommend is if there is an opportunity to do proactive plan B when he's not in the midst of a video game, that might be more ideal or if, when he's not in the midst of a video game, you make an appointment with him to talk about it, and I would not use the word addicted, that your concern is how it's affecting his life. And because I don't know much more than that, I actually don't know um, whether he's going to be willing to talk to you. I don't know if you might need someone else who he might talk to instead but I'm glad you emailed. And I hope that uh, you're, he lets you in and lets you talk to him. We'll find out. Do let us know. And do feel free to call in if you wish. We do have a caller now, so I'm gonna, callers always take priority on this program. So let's go to area code 832 and... Uh, Find out what we got going on here. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Dr. Green. How are you? I am well. Um, What's <clears> on your mind? Um, I've called you before, and uh, when I was, it's probably been uh, about two months, and and uh, have read the Explosive Child, and we're we're learning to use uh, Plan B, having very good results. Just have a long. <laughs> A long road to go to to get through all of the different uh, unresolved problems that we have, but um, <clears throat> I have a a couple of questions. Before you go on, uh, when people are first starting, um, I just want to comment on something you said because it's it is it is sort of the typical scenario. When unsolved problems have gone unsolved for a long time, they tend to pile up. When right. people when people finally recognize, as you have, that solving problems is the key here. The hard part is that they are now faced with a rather large pile of unsolved problems that have accumulated over time. Correct. And that's a hard part. One hard part is realizing, you know, there's many hard parts along the road to moving in the direction of collaborative problem solving. One is the light bulb going on that this is lagging skills that are getting in your kid's way, not attention-seeking, manipulative, coercive, unmotivated limit testing. That's that's a big hurdle. Another big hurdle is recognizing that those lagging skills are getting in the way under specific conditions that, are, of course, are called unsolved problems, and that we can actually figure out what those unsolved problems are. That's another hard part. You're on what we might call hard part number three, which is now that you've realized those first two things, you know, you've, you've got the right lenses on, and you've got the right raw material to start making things better, but what's sitting in front of you is a rather large pile of unsolved problems. 
and it can feel rather foreboding to many people because that pile has grown over time. That's what happens to unsolved problems when they remain unsolved. They The pile grows. So I just wanted to let you know, number one, that that's kind of typical, and number two, let people who are listening know that that's kind of typical. But keep going. All right. Thank you. And that and that's that, that's certainly true, and I recognize it. And, you know, um, getting thoughts organized about how we're going to approach things, well, you know, I mean, we just um, – rather than try to write out, you know, what is the priorities are, we just kind of try to feel it. And when the moment feels right that this would be a good time to talk about, you know, such and such problem, then, then, then we do that. Uh, and – and I think the real, you know, key, and you, and you give us some good words to start with, you know, uh, but the real key is to learn how to communicate with the child and how to get him talking. And, um, and, and you know, we've, I've done enough of the collaborative problem solving now that he's starting to recognize the repetitive words and say, okay, Dad, I don't want to talk about that. So I'm having to be creative and learn different ways to try to approach the different topics. <coughs> but... um there are several things that um that I don't know how to talk through and one is uh impulse control. I've noticed that he is very impulsive um to the point where I just, you know I just uh, I I don't know if there's any way to talk through it. I mean, for example, um um had a GPS mounted in the car and 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 it shuts itself off uh when you turn the key off. But it has a it has a little message that comes up that says it will shut itself off in 30 seconds unless you touch the screen, which means it'll stay on and run the battery down. So I saw him looking at it, and I knew he was about to touch it, and I said, "Don't touch the screen." And then he just kind of grinned at me, and he still got said, "Called his name, don't touch the screen." And he just, but he can't stop himself. He still reach up there and touch the screen. Um, and so I don't, you know, I don't know if there's a way to talk through that. I almost think that's an impulse control that is is beyond talking, or at least at his age. What do you think? I don't know. I the um, interesting part is, um, I'm not sure it fits the classic definition of poor impulse control. To tell you the truth, okay, because there was uh, you impulse control is failing. Well, I guess in in some ways it, it, it is. I'm not sure. I mean, technically, the definition of poor impulse control is failing to consider the consequences of your actions before you act. But mm-hmm. you warned him, and then he did it anyways. Right. So I'm not completely certain that it qualifies as classic poor impulse control. We probably have some people listening thinking that it qualifies as sheer stick-it-in-your-face noncompliance. Well, that's certainly how it feels if you if you have the old lenses on. But that's right. But I, you know, but, but I, I, I try not to think of it that way. Good, and I, I think it, it it probably benefits you not to. Um, for, uh, but I would say this: I don't know if I would call that poor impulse control, and it, that does sound like something that you could talk to him about in Plan B. Okay. Um, because there was a delay, you told him. Don't touch it. He grinned. You told him, don't touch it. Then he touched it. Whether that's poor impulse control or not, I don't know. Whether that's pure, unadulterated, stick-it-in-your-face noncompliance, that's not the direction I would head in. The direction I would head in is to ask him uh, about 
that scenario and to try to gather information about what he was thinking and, and what he was doing. Um, you might, I mean, I can use my imagination here. Let's say, and this might not be true, that you were smiling when you said, don't touch it. What you might hear in the empathy step is, I thought you were joking. I thought you weren't serious. Um, I don't know what you're going to hear, but there's there's no harm in finding out what you're going to hear. And to tell you the truth, really no downside in staying away from believing that it's pure, unadulterated, stick-it-in-your-face noncompliance. Mm-hmm. But keep going. Get some other stuff. Okay, well, and, and I'd ask him about it. That's what I would do. I had a I had a conference with his teacher because his teacher right before the Christmas break was I could just tell well she was just about to give up on him, um, and so I I sent her a link to your website and I told her that we were following the collaborative problem solving model and I would really appreciate it before our meeting if she would at least look through the material and she did, and then I went and met with her for probably an hour and. Uh, um, and I think that, you know, as typical school, at least in this uh, area, you know, I mean, it, it, this this is this is new a new idea. And in so many ways, I've, I, I I listen to your podcasts and stuff, and I just say, gosh, what a lone voice in the wilderness. I hope you don't feel that way. I hope there's I hope there's more going on that I don't know about, other than just you being a lone voice out there. But but I think she heard it. But one of the things that she said was, and, and the reason I use impulse control is because she thinks he has poor impulse control. Um and and I don't know if there's something we can do there. And I guess what I'm what I'm kinda wondering about is and I and I, you know, completely understand and and, and follow your uh uh feelings about diagnoses and how they are not always helpful and I, but I'm wondering if that if, if we should go there and if we should that's a scary path because I don't really want to get into a cycle where we go to 10 doctors and get 10 different diagnoses and nobody does anything. I mean, in the end, I know we still have to do the collaborative problem solving. We still have to learn to talk to him, and through that process, he will learn the skills he needs. But in the meantime, um, there are some things that just sometimes we just feel like he's just out of control, and I wish there was a way to, to accelerate it a little bit. All right, so now here's the deal. There are some things that medicine does well. And I don't like to deprive kids of things that medicine does well. And you wouldn't, well, now one of the things that medicine does do well is it helps kids control their impulses well. Especially if, well, not necessarily especially if, what often goes along with poor impulse control is hyperactivity. And what sometimes goes along with poor impulse control is inattention and distractibility and difficulty focusing. Now, I'm not pretending on a radio program that I can tell you whether medication would help your son. That would be irresponsible. I always like to get much more information. But let me ask you a question. Does your son have other things that go along with impulse control often, like uh, hyperactivity, fidgeting, yes, and inattention, distractibility, difficulty focusing. That's hard to say because if he decides to focus on a task, he will be so locked into it that you can't break his focus. And that's but, classic. Uh, uh, but um, and and 
So if you say in the inability to focus on, you know, what the teacher is telling him, well, yeah, he has trouble with that. Got it. So here's the classic thing in kids who meet diagnostic criteria for ADHD. And once again, I don't care all that much whether he meets diagnostic criteria for ADHD, but I do know that medicine does help with poor impulse control, hyperactivity, and inattention. Now, a lot of people, when they have a kid who's inattentive sometimes, it's very common for them to say, yeah, but there's other times when he can focus like all get out. And that's actually kind of classic. The, we're, we're, the, the interesting thing about kids who meet this profile is that they tend to be able to focus on things that they find to be interesting and stimulating. We all have an easier time focusing on things we find to be interesting and stimulating. But what separates what we might say the men from the boys is things that we don't find stimulating and don't find interesting because those are the tasks that require a great deal more what we might call psychic energy, mental energy. Right. And that's, that's where kids who meet this profile, fit this profile, tend to fall off the wagon. So if he's having trouble focusing on things that um, are not stimulating, not riveting, not grabbing him, I'm interested. If he's also hyperactive and impulsive, I'm interested. Whether him touching the uh, GPS in your car is an example of poor impulse control or not, that that, that we could debate. But uh, if he's meeting that profile, here's both the good news and the bad news. That profile is something that medicine in many, many kids tends to address well. Why is that good news? Because there may be pharmacologic intervention that could help your son enormously. Why is that bad news? A lot of people aren't too enthusiastic about that option and have a real hard time and struggle with the idea of putting their kid on meds for hyperactivity, poor impulse control, and inattention. And, and we, we certainly are in that group. However, right. we also would like to be able to get some sleep once in a while, so, so to speak. <laughs> so, um, because uh, he, he wears us out. He, we're, just, we're exhausted all the time. Well, now here's um, the interesting thing about the medicines that are most commonly used for hyperactivity, poor impulse control, and inattention. They tend to be of the stimulant medication variety, although there are other options. And I'm not a medication prescriber, so this is me just telling you what I know, but I don't consider myself an expert. And you're gonna, if you decide that you even want to explore the possibility, you're going to want to find somebody who's in your area, who's a bit of an expert, and who's well thought of and conservative in their use of medication for kids. But um, stimulant medication is the most commonly used medication for hyperactivity, poor impulse control, and inattention. And there's a few things about stimulant medication that anybody who knows about them would want to tell you about if, if before you actually went down that route. One of them is that stimulant medications sometimes reduce appetite. But the other, relevant to what you're talking about right now, that he's, that he's wearing you out, is that Stimulant medication can only be given in many kids to a certain point in the day because their stimulants, another potential side effect, is that they can make it hard for a kid to fall asleep at night. Stimulant medication. Mm. And so um, 
you may not get. You may get relief if you were to get a, if, you know, if a medicine was working for your son and it was working at school and it was working at home. You might get some relief over the weekend um, during waking hours, but there's a certain point in the day where you, in many kids, in most, that in my experience, can't use it anymore because it's going to keep him up at night. And then, yeah. and this is this is one of the hardest parts. Then. While you are getting the benefit of medication during part of the day, you still got the exact same kid you always did the rest of the day, and especially right. at night. And so, you know, I can't say that it's a panacea, but I have certainly seen those types of medications be the difference between night and day for many, many kids. And now you get to grapple with, is this something that you want to pursue, um, given given our limited discussion here, and we have to acknowledge that this is a limited discussion and I'm not getting the kind of details that I normally would if you were sitting in front of me, um, you, you might want to contemplate whether this is something you'd want to talk about with someone who is a medical professional and highly thought of who could really explore whether this makes sense for your son and really explore whether this is a route that you want to go down. And um, you may not want to go down the route, and you may want to go down the route, that's totally a judgment call on the part of every parent. Right. And, well, and and so <clears throat> I don't know if we do or not, and this is something and we've actually been contemplating it for a long time, and 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 collaborative problem solving is something we've only known about for about two months, and and I definitely see the benefit, and we will continue to do that regardless of whether we, you know, seek uh, pharmacological help, but. Um, He's just such a variety of things, and 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 one of the things is he does not he already does not sleep well. He never has since the day he was born. Okay. Um, uh, That's interesting. And and uh, and 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 more recently, he started uh, what we we might characterize as as ticking, uh, like Tourette syndrome. Um, oh boy. Although we okay. we're not. We're not you know we're not experts in that, so we don't know for sure that's what we're seeing. But we're certainly seeing some little strange physical movements and things that we wonder why he's doing that. Uh, uh, it, it, it could be OCD or something, just just strange little things. And probably a certain amount is normal, and, and some of it is, it's, you know, I think it's probably a matter of quantity. How much does he do it? If we do it a little bit, well, maybe everybody does that a little bit. But, but when it gets to be excessive, you start wondering, now, what's that about? Um, well, now you you're know, convincing me that... Now you're convincing me that if you haven't already, you do want to see if there if you can find one a very competent, highly thought of child mental health professional in your area. And here's why. Uh I think that difficulty sleeping is one of the most overlooked causes of activity level, hyperactivity, in poor impulse control and inattention. Um, I'm a lot less attentive and focused when I'm poorly slept. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's something you'd want to talk to somebody about um, because it's probably not ideal for your son to be, for, for your son to have irregular sleep patterns and to not be getting enough sleep. And um, that can account for behavioral issues that can pop up as and hard, hard you know it's understandable and but here's the other thing you just told me 
you're starting to see some ticks, potential ticks, you're not sure, and you'd want to get that evaluated as well because stimulant medication can sometimes, in some kids, make ticks worse. And the ticks can be a sign of other things that could be going on with your son um, that you'd want to know about. Um, kids with Tourette's disorder have ticks. Ticks don't always mean Tourette's disorder, but Tourette's disorder often brings other things into consideration that would uh, influence medication choice if you decided to go that route. Um, you certainly don't want medication to make your son's ticks worst. So between the sleep and the potential ticks, and this is this is why um, it's important to get the total picture. Right, of course. Um, we began our conversation with poor impulse control. We, very then, moved into, <laughs> we then moved into hyperactivity and inattention. Right. We then talked about stimulant medication. We then heard about sleep issues and potential tics. Your son is becoming much more interesting. Interesting enough for me to think that you want to see somebody competent in your area who can listen to you and hear about these things in a way that I can't on a radio program like this and who can really evaluate it thoroughly and who can guide you in a way that is much more informed than what I'm going to be able to do on a radio program. Of course. Um, and so what I'm wondering is, and it seems like somewhere in one of the archives I was listening to or read or something, but I, I I wouldn't know where to start to go back to it. It seemed like you had uh, you mentioned providers who are on board with collaborative problem solving uh, there's approach. A, there's a different website, cpsconnection.com, that has providers okay. listed. But your other option is to use the contact form on either the Lives in a Balance website or the CPS Connection website. Um, CPS Connection will come straight to me. The Lives in a Balance website, you'll have to direct it toward me, but it's easy that you'll see how to do that. Um, and let me know. I don't want you to do it on the program. Let me know where you live. And if you So if you don't see somebody in the providers section on the CPS Connection website, then contact me, and I'll let you know if I know anybody in your area. Okay, because I, I mean, it just you know, we're just we're just groping in the dark trying to figure out where to where to start, who to start with, and and I'm not at all optimistic that the first doctor we go to will be the right one, uh, and so I'd like to, you know, help kind of eliminate that process. Yep, uh, I just googled I just googled your um, area code that I that, uh, and am seeing sort of the general geographic area you're in. And I'm yes. betting I probably can find somebody, but contact me through the uh, contact form on either of those two websites, and I will let you know if I can help you out with somebody in your area. That sounds great, Dr. Green. Sound okay? Uh, but but you've just convinced me that it's time to take a much closer look than what we can do on this radio program and really make sure that we are proceeding in an informed fashion with your son. Okay, great. There you go. I appreciate you calling in again. And, yes, I remember call you calling the last time. <laughs> Thank you for being there. <laughs> Keep us posted. You bet. All right. Bye. Um, shall we go to another email? Um, 
Hold on, this one's a long one, and we don't have that much time left, so I'm going to search for a shorter one. All right, my son goes to school in Colorado, Dr. Green. He has been diagnosed with Asperger's disorder and is an explosive child. I've asked the school to read your book, evidently. In speaking with them, they do not clearly understand an explosive child. They keep asking what they can do to defuse him. He is nine years old and in the third grade. I've used your book for three years now. I rarely have any problems at home. However, obviously at school I am not there and cannot come up with ideas on how to handle each situation since I don't know each individual one. I could if I was there, but I am not. We've had a team interim IEP meeting, and they are still asking these questions. Uh, My son was being homeschooled for the days before the holidays for safety reasons. Uh, My son is being homeschooled for the days before the holidays. Oh, this is an old one. I'm sorry about this. This is back into December. Until the staff can can be trained and understand Explosive Child by reading your book and viewing your training video. Can you offer me any suggestions on how I can answer their questions about how to defuse a situation when I am not there? Thank you very much. Uh, I have to say, without your book and my son's official diagnosis, I would have been lost. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. You're welcome, and I'm so glad you found the work. But now the uh, answer to your question it sounds like the school is primarily focused on emergent intervention, not proactive, because they're talking about defusing. So what? when people are talking about defusing and it becomes clear that they are primarily thinking about emergent intervention, um, it tells me that they probably haven't discovered the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems yet probably haven't this is what when, when people are in, in intervening emergently um, not proactively it usually means that they haven't yet figured out what skills a kid is lacking they haven't yet identified the very specific unsolved problems that are setting in motion in challenging episodes they haven't prioritized which unsolved problems are going to be working on yet. They haven't decided who's working on them with the kid yet to try to solve them. All of the ingredients that make the whole enterprise proactive, when people are intervening emergently, it becomes clear that all of the ingredients that would make the enterprise proactive haven't happened yet. So they need to happen. I don't know if you want to be in the position of trying to help them intervene emergently. You, you might be good at that, but to tell you the truth, you don't want to be intervening primarily emergently either. The whole goal is to make intervention 99.9% proactive, and you do that by using the ingredients that I just described, assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, Identify the unsolved problems. Identify which unsolved problems we're working on right now. Use the Plan B flowchart to designate who's going to be working on each unsolved problem with the kid and track the unsolved problem through to a successful resolution. 
Now, are there things... Now, uh, one other thing I should mention. Here's another thing that will get us out of the diffusing business. One thing that gets us out of the diffusing business is that we are using Plan B proactively to solve problems so that you don't even have to diffuse them anymore. That's that's beautiful. But here's also beautiful. There's going to be unsolved problems because we can't work on everything at once and because most behaviorally challenging kids have large numbers of unsolved problems, as the gentleman who we were just talking to on the phone was talking about in the beginning, unsolved problems accumulate over time when they remain unsolved. We're going to have to decide not only which unsolved problems we're working on, but also which unsolved problems we're not working on, and that's Plan C. And we want to be doing Plan C proactively, too. Plan C is where we're usually coming up with an interim plan so that the problem doesn't come up in the first place. We've we've tabled it. We've not solved it. We've tabled it. We've removed the demand from the kid's radar screen. Now you're not going to have to defuse it either because while it isn't solved yet, you've also set the stage for it not to come up, at least for now. When will it come up again? when it moves from plan C, where you had tabled it, into plan B, because you now have room in plan B to work on it because you've solved some of the ones that were higher priorities early on. As I always say, uh, if there's a lot of unsolved problems in the pile, you're not going to be able to get all those fish into the frying pan at once. The harder you try to get all the fish into the frying pan, the fewer get cooked. So two or three unsolved problems end up in the frying pan. That's plan B. And the rest, we might call them little fish, end up outside the frying pan. That's plan B. Plan C, excuse me. When do you start putting plan B, plan C fish into the frying pan when you've already fried some and they're already solved? Defusing is not the goal solving problems proactively is the goal, then you're out of the diffusing business and you're in the proactive problem-solving business. Now, if they haven't read Lost at School, that's a very explicit description of what it looks like to implement collaborative problem-solving at school. Here's the good news. They uh, seem to be asking for your advice which means the potential is there for you all to collaborate together and uh, work together on making things better for your son at school. It's fantastic. Uh, That's what I would do. You want to make the whole enterprise as proactive as possible, made possible by the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems and the Plan B flowchart. You're in the proactive problem-solving business, not the defusing business. I thank you for your question, and I apologize that it uh, didn't get answered for a while, but it got answered. And as we often do on this program, or at least as often as we possibly can, we'll let you know that we answered it so that you know that you can listen to this program if you weren't listening today. Sound good? Good. Now, here's the bad news. We're out of time for today. 
but I hope you found this to be a very informative program. And, of course, it's the parents' panel next week on this program. Uh, we do it the first Tuesday of every month, and next Tuesday is the first Tuesday of February. So I look forward to having you uh, join in or listen in then and look forward to having the parents' panel on again. Um, in the meantime, good luck with Plan B this week. Take care.